2: Welcome, everyone, to the Story Box. This is the place to be if you're a lover of stories, learning new and interesting things, growing abundantly, and if you want to improve your overall life. My name is Jay Phantom, and I've made it my purpose to unbox and share the amazing stories from people of every profession, all over the world. I'm grateful that you're here today. Let's journey into the Story Box together and hear more about whose story will be unboxed today. Welcome, everyone, back to the Story Box. For those of you that are new and tuning in for the very first time, my name is Jay Phantom and I am the host of the Story Box. I get to speak with some very, very incredible people each and every week and unbox some just awe inspiring stories. And this week is going to be a massive, massive week because I have four women that are absolutely incredible in each of their fields. Uh, And it's going to be a very informative uh, deep dive into each and every one of these women's stories. So I thought I'd start off the week with a giant bang uh, in terms of the caliber of guests. So I decided to uh, release my guest today, who is none other than Sarah Jakes Roberts. Now, for those of you that don't know who she is, you're about to get to know more about her, but I Cannot, cannot recommend this woman's message highly enough, but Sarah Jakes Roberts is redefining what it means to be a modern woman of faith. Her messages spread throughout the world defying cultural, religious, gender, and socioeconomic boundaries, whether through her best-selling books or viral messages, It only takes a few minutes of connecting with her to understand why she becomes an instant favorite. And trust me when I say this, she is another favorite of mine (laughs) Uh, to speak to, that is, and just get to know more about her. But Sarah has a unique way of reaching people who are seeking to make peace with their past, maximize their present, and deepen their relationship with God. Alongside her husband, Tore Roberts, she co-pastors the Potters House at one of LA and the Potter's House at, over at Denver. With her down-to-earth personality, contemporary style, and uh, revelatory messages, there's no question why she is an emerging thought leader for this generation, yet her growing influence came by surprise. Uh, and Sarah says, If you would have told me five years ago that I would be in full time ministry, I would have asked you if you were talking to the right person. At 23 years old, she was tempted to follow her journey as a woman battling insecurities, teen pregnancy stigma, low self esteem, toxic relationships, and depression to define the rest of her life. It wasn't until she was in her darkest moment that she realized she only had two options settle. Or evolve. Sarah dared to harness the wisdom of her past wounds and apply them to the hope uh, for her future. The process of transforming from the insecure and fearful young girl that she was into the powerhouse wife, mother, businesswoman, and leader that she took, uh, it took dedication, discipline, re- resources, and spiritual growth, just to name a few things that it took. Her passion is to utilize her experiences, insight, and influence to help every soul she encounters to evolve into the best version of themselves. In 2017, Sarah launched Women Evolve, a ministry that focuses on incubating every woman uh, to her fullness. Since its conception, Women Evolve has been successful at reaching and guiding thousands of women to awaken healing wholeness and love for themselves and others and that's why I'm excited to tell you about her new book which is actually titled Women Evolve and you can go and get a copy anywhere books are sold. I highly encourage you if Sarah's message resonates with you, overcoming fears and knowing that you are worth something in life and that you need to really evolve in your life, to, to grow and to become better as a human being and understand that God does love you, then go and get a copy of this book because I had an absolute joy and blast uh, being able to speak with Sarah. Um, I had followed her, her message for quite some time before getting the absolute privilege of, of getting to sit down with her and unbox certain elements of her life that she doesn't always talk about Uh, which was really, really exciting. So if you do get something from this episode, please share it around. It Spread the message. This is, I believe, is a message that needs to be spread far and wide uh, to broader communities, to not just women, but also men uh, as well. But I hope that you do get something from it. Uh, If you do also want to see the full video, go on YouTube and and watch that now. Also, uh, all the links are in the show notes. Make it easy for you. Before you go, please leave a five-star rating and review over on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from. It goes a long way once again. So that's enough from me. It is time to dive into the story box. So we're going to evolve our, our learning today in the story box by listening to the incredible story of none other than Sarah Jakes Roberts.
0: Uh, Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. I'm glad we were able to make it work.
2: The uh, excitement is really evolving for me right now because I love your message. I I love this book that you've come out with at such a a very special time. Uh, I can't wait to get into it with you in just a moment. But before we do, I normally start off all my conversations with one particular question I think you might like, which is what does success look like for you?
0: Okay, that's a good question. Success looks like living fully, honestly, and authentically in the life that I have been given. Um, I don't think success is like this destination, like once I've achieved X, Y, and Z, then I will be successful. I think it's finding the success, the spirit of success, the spirit of gratitude in wherever I am right now. I think it's a successful spirit, not a destination.
1: Mm.
2: Have you ever found it difficult to be grateful for what you have right now?
0: Oh, definitely. So many times. I think the pandemic. just one of those moments where i felt like my life has been completely shifted in a way that i don't know when we're going to recover and i liked my life you know what i mean like i did not need the pandemic No, i know no one needed it but it's like you know i was really headed towards somewhere i felt like i was making progress and it was difficult to not be bitter frustrated and upset but then i was brushing my teeth one day in the middle of the pandemic really early on i was brushing my teeth and i was like at least this hasn't changed And all of a sudden, instead of thinking about all of the things that had changed, I started focusing on those small things that had not changed. And I saw my attitude begin to pivot because there was some steadiness, even in the midst of change and transition. And then I was able to create once I felt steady again.
2: Mm, I love that. Why do you think that people find it difficult to be grateful in the present moment?
0: Well, there's this hole in our life and whether that hole is huge or pin size, the fact that we feel like there's something missing is difficult for us to work through. Mm -hmm. And I think for a lot of people, they're able to channel that into work ethic. But for some of us, we can't help but see that hole as a reflection of our worth. My worth has a hole in it. My identity has a hole in it. And now I am not all that I could be because of this hole. And so I think anytime someone feels inadequate or insufficient, that it's difficult to be gratitude for all of the other puzzle puzzle pieces that you can see. And yet, if we don't find that, we're going to always have something we could be doing better. So it really does take um, perspective to get to a place where you don't mind being um holy, but still used.
2: <laughs> I love that. Have you ever struggled with finding your own worth and your purpose?
0: Oh goodness. That I I have spent more time struggling with my worth, struggling with my purpose than I have spent in it. And I feel like um, people don't always get that, that I spent more time. So I am 32 now, and I've probably been in purpose strong, like the last five to six years. And so we're still talking 26 years of, I don't know who I am. I don't know if I had value. I had A child as a teenager, that's another hole. That's something else that made me feel inadequate. I went through a divorce. And so I struggled with all of those things. And um, so now that I have found purpose, it's... um, I have to let my purpose speak to that part of me that wandered for so long to tell that person who wandered like they're talking to you. You finally have made it into this place of purpose. And that helps me to be more present and to be full in the moment that I'm standing in.
2: I've got a couple of questions coming from that response. The first one I want Mm -hmm. to go into, uh, you mentioned you had a teenage pregnancy and trying to navigate that all area. Uh, I'm curious, um, did you feel ashamed at all? Did you have a sense of guilt uh, coming from that?
0: Oh, goodness. That's all I felt. That's all I felt having that teenage pregnancy. I mean, I think that when you're an adult, um, it's so easy to forget what it was like to be a child. And I have an 11-year-old daughter now, an 18-year-old son. We, we've got a blended family of six children. So I have a lot of people in my house. But uh, when I imagine my pregnancy with my daughter's naivety in mind, it makes me realize just how traumatizing it was. Outside of the pressure of how am I going to care for a child, just the mental toll that it takes to go from thinking, oh, I'm going to get in trouble. For being pregnant as opposed to my life is going to change forever from I'm being pregnant. And I know immediately that everything that I thought I knew about my innocence, my worth, my value diminished the moment that I had to live out that reality. It's funny. My mom told me when I met my husband that she had not seen me smile with all of my teeth since before I got pregnant. I think that that just speaks to how much of uh, a weight and a depression I sunk into instantaneously.
2: Where you grew up, I believe you grew up in a Christian household. Yeah. Uh, was it because of the fact that there was this stigma around, okay, you, you can't get pregnant, that's what made you afraid? Or was there something more to it than that?
0: It was definitely the Christian household, but even outside of the Christian household, you don't even have to be a Christian to think that a girl who got pregnant as a teenager is not necessarily the person we celebrate in society and culture. I think I would have probably even made it out a little bit better if I felt like, okay, the church doesn't understand me, but at least out here at my school or in the world, I'm accepted, but we're talking about something that isn't socially accepted no matter where you are. Mm. And so um, that is An added layer that I've actually never even really thought about until expressing it here. But that is an added layer of trauma, of feeling like I have nowhere to go where this is okay. And yet um, that isolation kept me longing for someone to tell me it's okay, it's okay.
2: Mm. I'm curious about why this is the case because so many people, I have no doubt, have experienced this very thing, the same thing you've experienced. And they kind of they do feel lost. They do feel like they're not worth anything yet they've created life. They kind of, there's a stigma, especially in Christian circles uh, as well, we kind of shame them and yeah. it's like this is not God's way, you know, but then you got to understand that we are human, we do make mistakes, but ultimately God has allowed it for a, for a reason. Yeah. Uh, so I've always been fascinated by why why in the world do we shame people, we belittle people for for this kind of mistake. And do we see we it as a mistake?
0: You know, I, I love this question. I love this pathology in general because none of us are living God's way, right? God's mm-hmm. way was us in the garden. We know how he said it, that we were in the garden. <laughs> we were traipsing around. We had so none of us are in God's original intention. And I think the church doesn't know what to say when someone isn't living God's way that can help them still navigate their way okay so Mm -hmm. this is my way now i'm 13 years old and i'm pregnant if i'm not doing it god's way does that mean i don't have a path at all that's why i love the story of eve because eve i mean she is the one who set it off and not doing it god's way and yet god doesn't abandon her and we never tell this part of the story we just kind of like kick her over to the corner and we're like you messed it up for us all we don't want to talk about you anymore and i i just i love this and. When God says to them, if you eat from this fruit, you will surely die. Like they don't die the moment they eat from the fruit, but something in them died. Something in them died. And I think that we as churches and, um, you know, people of faith who are in community have to be willing to ask ourselves when someone eats from forbidden fruit, what in them dies? And are we willing to do the work to bring it back to life?
2: My goodness, that was so powerful. I, I just... My brain just spun <laughs> for a moment because <laughs> I have never actually thought of it like that myself. It's fas- it's a fascinating line of thought because I think, do you believe that it's kind of like your purpose has died inside, or is it something else that has died?
0: Um, I think that your confidence mm-hmm. and your ability to connect with God in the world around you. Um, in truth, guys. I mean, we see that immediately, okay, we were in a journey here and I love it immediately. (laughs) Adam and Eve um, realize that they're naked and cover themselves. Mm. I think that their sense of freedom that I can be who I am without fear of judgment or ridicule or criticism dies immediately. And if we go even further, I mean, they eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which means what did they have before then? A blank canvas. And now what has died is this blank canvas. And now I have to categorize my experiences as good or evil. And that wasn't God's original intent. We were supposed to just be here experiencing life, but now we've got good and evil. And we know what happens when we feel like we've got too much evil in our life or too much good in our life. There's this, this, war that mm-hmm. takes place within us and it's difficult to navigate that battle.
2: It's kind of like we're wrestling with our spirit. We we know innately what is right, but then for some reason we go against it. <laughs> and yeah. then we've got, to, we've got to come back to what is good. And yeah. doing what is good is hard. Everyone knows that. So I'm curious about how can we set things in our life to follow what is good every single day to, I guess, a lot of people, they struggle with fears in their life. Yeah. And fear is such a, it's an ever-evolving thing, right? It never really yeah. goes away, which kind of sucks. But then again, yeah. is it a good thing? If if that question is sort of uh, articulated well enough <laughs> for you to understand <laughs>
0: No, for sure. Um, Fear does serve a purpose. I think even when we look at sociology and the way that humans have changed over time, fear is something that was used in order to protect ourselves, right? Mm -hmm. It's when it goes from this sense of protection to oppression, but we don't always know where that line is. So when we say I'm never going to date again because this last person broke my heart, it sounds like protection and maybe for two to three months, it is protection. But when we're six years down the road, now it's oppression because we have decided to take what was meant to protect us and now it is oppressing us. I mean, the scripture talks about God not giving us this spirit of fear. That's when something that is supposed to be a passing emotion has now become the spirit in which I show up in the world. Um, It doesn't say that he doesn't, you know, have fear in our world at all because fear does exist, but that spirit of fear that ends up taking over our identity is not a part of God's plan. Um, Ideally, had Eve not eaten from that fruit, We wouldn't even know fear's name, but we do know it now. And so now we have to understand what our fears are telling us, what rules uh, we're following by that our fears created and decide whether or not we want to allow fear to stay in the driver's seat of our destiny.
2: Fear also stops the sound mind. It stops us from seeing who we really are. And it stops us from looking towards God because some reason we get afraid that god is going to, to judge us he's got a, an eye in hand of ruling he's gonna you know do nothing but bad or bring bad into our life but if if i look at my life and all the things that i've been through and i'm only 24 and i've yeah. been through hell and back i look at it from the point of view of yes i was afraid in that moment but each and every time that i went to god in the times that I did, compared to the times that I didn't, I was actually at peace more yeah. when I turned to God and asked Him for help. Because I love the—I don't know if you've—you've heard of the—the the poem "Footprints in the Sand."
0: Yeah, he, yeah, yeah.
2: He's never left us in the time of of being afraid. He's yeah. enabling us. He's—he's giving us all the tools necessary to move forward. And then also the the poetic. Element to that poem is he's carried us yeah. through that that period of time. I mean I that, that that's it's a beautiful picture, but then we still get stuck, yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> it's like this. I love the next part of the the verse. He gives us peace, and yeah. love, and of a sound mind to be able yeah. to move forward from fear.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. And I think, you know, sometimes in church we talk about the fear of God, but I don't know if we break it down the way that we should. Because the fear of God is not, I'm so afraid of him. And that's what I think keeps people away from God is this idea, I'm so afraid of him that I'd rather not bring myself to him. It is this reverence for the holiness of God, like the reverence that you would have if you met like a president or a king or someone who was just this figure that was so big that you knew I'm supposed to bow down and have this level of respect. Because when we have that level of fear and reverence for God, we present ourselves, but we do it with such humility and with such trust, because we know that you are so much greater than I am. You are the creator of all things. So wherever you send me, whatever you say about me, I'm going to receive it. Like if, you know, President Barack Obama told me I was um, the most intelligent woman, I may add it to my bio, you know, because I would be like Obama (laughs) said, (laughs) I am so intelligent, but God says you were fearfully and wonderfully made. And we can't accept that. And I think we have to be willing to do the work to get low enough to say, whatever you say about me, I'm going to have the faith to receive it and allow it to become a part of my identity.
2: Mm. The faith aspect is so important. Yet yeah. I believe us as humans, we complicate it. He said, I, I love the, only have, I believe it's in Matthew, but if you only have the faith, the, the size of a mustard seed, yeah. that's all it is. And, and the mustard seed is like how big.
0: Like,
2: yeah, oh, that's so small. <laughs> so small. And that picture for us is an example of saying, okay, yes, we we have these moments of doubt. We have these moments that we, we don't understand or we don't know, but that is okay. That is part of being human. And for us to have that ability to believe that God is still there, he hasn't come off the throne, um, God is not going to, make our life worse. Um, and I think you're right. I think that we talk about God's judgment, you know, we, we, we create fear amongst the brethren amongst people and and we leave the church thinking, Oh my goodness, (laughs) what's going on here. But that shouldn't be the case at all. And I like how you said, if we break it all down, I think that's an important distinction to make. Um, But one question that I I do want to ask you, having speaking about fear, actually, is: Do you currently have a fear in your life that you're still yet to overcome?
0: I do. I I have. I I probably have a lot of them. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Spiders. I am learning to um, not have fear when it comes to even raising my children. So my son is eighteen. He's moving into adulthood. He's itching to be free. I can sense it. I feel it. And, um, you know, I'm afraid as a parent because it's a big, scary world out there. And when you're desperate to be free and desperate to explore yourself, I know that you just open yourself up to so many things because you're looking for your identity, right? And I know he's got to go through his process, but I think as a parent, I'm, I'm fearful about that. So I'm working through... Releasing my control, remembering that he started with God and all of those things you have to tell yourself, um, but also giving him wisdom as much as he allows.
2: Mm, I love that. Um, I'm curious about for a a young parent at the moment that is going through the same thing you are going through. How would you talk to someone? How would you walk them through this same journey? If you can speak to someone right now that is struggling with control, with releasing their own child into, I guess you could say, the wild?
0: (laughs) (laughs) You know, um, we've had to do this before. When they were babies and they were sleeping in our room and then moved into their own rooms, we had to trust that they would be okay, that they would stay breathing throughout the night. When they started going to school by themselves, we had to trust that the teacher would look after them and understand that they need their blanket for nap time. Um, What I have found in my relationship with God is a lot of times we experience the same thing. It just shows up in a different form. And so if we can be comforted, we, I am saying we right now, if we can be comforted by the fact that we've had to do this before and that we didn't lose them in the process, then maybe we won't hold on so tight that we leave marks and wounds on them, but we'll understand how to gently let go So that they can become, but they still remain within reach.
2: What do you love the most about being a mom?
0: Oh, goodness. I love seeing their personalities show up I love seeing them just stand up in their own personalities I mean we have six we're a blended family we've got six people in our house um six children my roommates um all live in our house and I love seeing them show up in the world as themselves like and doing that with confidence my um five-year-old runs our house and my 11-year-old is trying to run our house so watching them compete for office they're campaigning every day in my house <laughs> If you guys hated the political season here in America, let me tell you, I'm in one every day at my house, but it's great to see them.
2: <laughs> I, I can only imagine, um, you know, I come from a very small family, but, you know, you still I have two brothers. I'm the middle child, so I completely understand the the cry out and the arguments. Oh, yeah, oh,
0: <laughs> it's spicy. Um, yeah,
2: it does. It does get spicy, eh? But. Uh, What has been for you, Sarah, what has been the greatest lesson that you've learned being a teen mom compared to being the age you are now as a mom?
0: That kids are really forgiving. Mm. They're really, really forgiving. Um, You know, I felt so bad when I had my son just because I knew that there were two parent homes that were probably doing it very well. In my mind at 14, I'm like, someone's doing all of the right things. They're not moving from house to house. They're not wondering how they're gonna make ends meet. And yet when my son talks about our time together, he's like, you know, it's been me and you since the beginning and it was so amazing. And I'm so proud of who you were and, and you fought and you stayed in it. And it just reminds me that kids are really forgiving. You know, parents aren't always apologetic but kids are really forgiving. And I think that we could undo a lot of damage that we see in families if parents could be more apologetic so that they could receive that forgiveness. Because when we wound our children and don't acknowledge it and then ask for forgiveness, they end up becoming adults with wounds. Mm.
2: That's a good point to, to actually raise. But speaking about your parents, when this actually happened, what was the lesson that your father or mother taught you that you you hold dear to your heart even today?
0: (laughs) My father told me that I could beat this. He's like, you can beat this, but you're going to have to hit the ground running. So that's my father. He's like trying at this point, he's like, we're in a fight you need to be Tyson. Okay. You don't have, you might have to bite some ears in the process. <laughs> you can beat this, but you're going to have to hit the ground running. And I keep that even like I'm nervous. I've been out talking about the book and sometimes I get nervous and I start feeling like the little shy introvert girl. And I can like hear my dad like fight, fight, fight. And my husband is just like my dad. So he's like, fight, fight, fight. And then my mother, I'm. it's no wonder that I don't need some type of like help because my mother on the other hand is like, you can rest take your time. So I got one parent telling me to fight and the other parent telling me to rest. And it is that crazy combination, actually, that has allowed me to know when to show up and fight and when to sit down and allow the fight to go on without me.
2: It's a good balance. I like it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> why, why did you decide to open up about this part of your life? Because it is a very personal part. And I guess it opens you up to different judgments to especially in the Christian circles. Yeah, especially. So why did you decide to open up about this?
0: So uh, I got pregnant before social media. If I got if I were the age that I was when I got pregnant now, this would be something that would be like on TMZ. It would be news. And um, so when I started blogging, people started connecting with my journey and they started following me. Now, this is like 10 years after I got pregnant, I started blogging and people would invite me to speak. And at the time I wasn't necessarily talking about the time that I got pregnant. I was just talking about overcoming your fears and having self-love and finding your worth. And people were so inspired by the words, but they didn't know the cost of those words. And so my dad um, was hosting a conference and he asked me if I would introduce him. I'm not typically one for public speaking, but I just was like, whatever, here I am, let me do it. And I decided to share it on that stage and from that platform because I wanted people to know who I really was. I didn't want them to just one day discover I was a teen mom and feel like, you know, I, you know, maybe lied to them or misled them in some way. And what I thought would kind of discredit the work that i had done actually ended up propelling it. Because people felt like, man, now that I know just who is saying these words to me, I can accept them even more because I have my own secrets and my own wounds that I'm working through as well.
2: Mm. And for, for your life, Sarah, knowing God as your, your Lord and Savior, mm-hmm. third, two questions coming out of this one. When was the moment that you made God real in your heart when wow. you accepted him? And second, okay. um, I'll should okay. I ask you the second question.
0: Go ahead, go for it, go <laughs> for it. <laughs> um,
2: so the second question is: when, when in your life that you least expected it, did God show up in a big way?
0: Okay. 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 I got you. Okay. So the first time that God became real, like for real in my life, i this is my second marriage. I was married before it was a toxic marriage. Um, there was certainly some, you know, emotional abuse. There was some physical things that happened and, um, We and I ended up at a CPS office as a result of one of our altercations and CPS here is like Child Protective Services. And I'm sitting there and they're talking about what kind of mother are you now? I'm now now this teen mom fear has become a reality as a grown woman because someone is talking to me about my mothering and I was leaving the CPS office. And that is when I made God real for my life. Because I realized that my plans, my idea of trying to fix my life and following my path so that I could wrap it up neatly and then present it to God wasn't working. And so I just surrendered. I just let it all fall apart. And I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm lost. I'm confused. I'm in this marriage. And if I keep going down this road, I could lose my kids. I could end up in prison and I don't like who I am anymore. And that's when I made God real because I trusted who he saw more than I trusted who I was becoming. And I started chasing after that image. And that's when I saw my life evolve. Mm -hmm. And I will say to your second question. Um, God has shown up for me in a big way with this book, like the most recent now he's shown up for me in a lot of different ways, but with woman evolve, um, God has shown me that there is a space for this type of women's movement and everything that we've been able to do with woman evolve from our tours to our conferences to even the book it breaks all of the rules it breaks all of the rules like our book right now is um number 15 in all of the like millions of books on amazon and it's like number one in a few categories we did like 20,000 in pre-orders. And like, we haven't had any national press. I'm a speaker, but I don't speak every Sunday. So I speak when I get invited, but I've been going on my social media, like, and it's just, the publishers never seen anything like it. I've never seen anything like it, but I know it's, I know it's a God thing.
2: Mm. So speaking about your book, why did you decide to write it now? And then another question is a 2 part question. Uh, (laughs) Your title is Woman Evolve, which is singular, woman. Why not have it women evolve? Because you do talk about women a lot as a plural aspect in your book.
0: I love that you asked this question because people say my book is Women Evolve and I don't even correct them at this point because I know why they're saying it because that's what it sounds like it should be called. But it's "Woman Evolve because it's a command. And I feel like those are two words that every woman should say to herself. Woman Evolve, Woman Evolve. When we say women, we automatically exclude ourselves from the image. But there's something about saying "Woman Evolve and I felt like the timing was just perfect for it for this book, the movement started because I had this revelation about Eve. And um, I tell this story all the time. I used to say that when I got to heaven, I was just going to like pull Eve to the side and like, just argue with her for a minute. Like, girl, you have one job. And <laughs> and I don't know if you know how the story played out for the rest of us, but it sucked. Okay. And um, <laughs> so, um, but I learned that you can't like be unforgiving and make it to heaven. So I needed to fix that. Um, and I started just working through, you know, this, Image that I had of Eve, and much like I've shared with you already, I just saw her differently. I saw her as a woman in a world that was bigger than her. I saw her as someone who was deceived before she changed her actions. And then I saw me the more that I saw her. And so that's how Woman Evolved, the movement started. And yet, no matter how many cities we've toured, how many conferences we've had, there's still women who we can't wrap our arms around. And so the book just felt like the natural next step to making sure that we don't leave any woman behind as it relates to this
2: revelation. Your very first chapter is Rescue Eve, which yes. I love. <laughs> it's like you're talking about <laughs> how we often do the blame game, especially as Christians, like, oh, we should blame Eve because she's the one yeah. that convinced Adam, blah, blah, blah. No, like Adam had a choice.
0: Yeah,
2: like, he it, sure did. Like, it, being the man, the man should know hey, this is not right, but, you know, guess what? (laughs) Like we are, but ultimately I look at it as, okay, well, yes, God put them there. He gave us an amazing gift called free will, the ability to choose and make decisions, you name it. But he also knew what was going to happen. Yeah, It was all part of God's perfect plan. And we can understand the perfect aspect of that because, you know, what is perfect apart from God?
1: But
2: right. In, and if you look at everything that has gone on you say oh how in the world is that perfect just wait
0: yeah yeah
2: <laughs> be, yeah be patient it all makes sense in in, in in the end but what I what I love about your story is it's so powerful we're so needful in this day and age with everything that has gone on we need to not just, not just women, but men as well. We need to be always evolving because if we remain stuck or be in the past because of what's happened, we're not going to grow. We're not going to move forward. And then we're going to feel like life's not going anywhere. We're going to end up in a state of depression, despair, anxiety, stress, you name it, that's what happens. Because I believe that God did not create us to be stagnant. He created us to move forward. And that's one of the reasons why I love the the message that your book is sending. And um, yeah, it's, it's a powerful
0: book. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. I can't agree more. What you said about we're always evolving and God did not create us to be stagnant. If we look at the ocean, if we look at the earth, if we look at the sun, the moons, the star, everything in creation speaks to the fact that God expects for everything he creates to move. And yet, if we're honest, there are moments in our life where we have experiences and we say, I'm stuck. No one knows we're stuck because we're still showing up at the job. We're still coming to the family reunions, but inwardly we're stuck. And so my job, I feel like my purpose, my mission on earth is to help you identify how we got stuck, so that we can figure out the plan to get unstuck so we can get back to that evolving. That is a part of who we are supposed to be in God.
2: Mm. That's powerful. You also mentioned in your book, I noticed your purpose now has evolved and I'm curious why, why does a person's purpose evolve over time? Why doesn't it remain the same?
0: Well, you know, I think that it starts with me even talking about blogging. So when I first started blogging, I'm like, my purpose is to be a blogger. Oh my goodness. This is the thing that I was created to do is put words on a screen for people to receive it. And then I started speaking and it felt like speaking was just as effective as blogging. And I'm like, okay, my purpose is to be a blogger and to be a speaker. And yet I realized that the common thread to that, even as it relates to woman evolve, because now I'm like, okay, my purpose is to start a ministry. My purpose hasn't changed from blogger to speaker to now the founder of our ministry, it has evolved. And ultimately what has evolved is my ability to connect with people. So now when I look back to when I was a little girl adults would tell me stuff that they would not tell my parents because they just felt safe enough to say things to me. And now I look at my life over the years and that's basically what I do is I create spaces for people to see themselves, to share what's in them. And then I have my responsibility and that is to make sure that I lead them back to God. And so I think that evolution gives us freedom. So we don't think like, okay, my purpose is to be in this job forever. What is it that you're doing at that job that's making the difference? That purpose for seeing where you put
2: it. I love this. What I've realized in my life, ultimately, and I've written about it in my in my first book, which is pretty, pretty exciting, but I think we need to start distinguishing between I am versus I do and how that relates to purpose. Yeah. So what a lot of people do is they think that, okay, my purpose in life is ultimately going to be what I get to do. And I think as a culture, we have sort of conditioned that And we've made people believe, okay, that if you don't get this job, if you don't go to university, then you're going to be nothing in society and you're not going to be useful. That's not true at all because who you are right now, that is a purpose. Your character, your values, your belief system, that is ultimately the best purpose and that is what's going to evolve the most. You take who you are, your belief, your character, your values into your job it's not the other way around and that's when, when you do get a job, it's not that the job is evolving ultimately, you are yeah. evolving yourself to become better for the next position or whatever it is. So that's, I think that's the kind of message that we need to be and I, that's why I love you, you talking about it. We need to be sending this especially to young people.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, I love that you're writing about this because I wrote about it in my book too. And I think that that's just like, just the spirit kind of saying the same thing to different people who can reach other people because. You know, I know that we talk so much now about purpose that people are like, where is it? Can I pick it up from Target? Is it going to ring the doorbell? Can Postmates bring it? Like, I want to know where my purpose is. It's lost. And the truth is like, your life is purpose. You and your existence and your being, if you bring intentionality to everything that you do, then your life on earth matters. So the question isn't, where is my purpose coming? It is, what is the purpose and what I'm doing here? It's not just a job, it's an opportunity to shed light light to my coworkers. it's not just raising the kids it's an opportunity to shape the next generation you bring the purpose when you are a part of whatever is happening in your world and i think that we've got to start empowering people to think more like that instead of waiting for something to come to them and then they'll have character and integrity and all of those things that we should have had in the first place
2: just keep going Like listen to you for ages (laughs) (laughs) Um, i i love um okay so if i was to pick up your book which i have done and turn to any page or chapter that is going to give me a renewed perspective, that is going to give me a challenge, that is really going to give me the most out of this book. What cha- chapter or page would you recommend?
0: The chapter called Know Better. No Better is um, K-N-O-W Better. And I feel like that chapter is the one that would help everyone who picks it up because we Think we know better, but there is a difference between thinking and knowing. And I use an analogy in the book. It's like, when I think I need to lose weight, I work out in the mornings and then I eat French fries to treat myself. But when I know I need to lose weight, I'm, ch- I'm eating the salad. I'm throwing away the food out of the fridge because there is a knowing that changes your actions and how to get what we think to become what we know is why we can't break certain patterns and certain cycles. And we end up on this merry-go-round called life. And so, that know better teaches us how to allow that knowing to show up in our everyday decision making and um, teach us who we have to become in order to do that.
2: So speaking about knowing better,
0: yeah,
2: how do we know that something is actually true or not?
0: Oh, uh, for me, it starts with understanding my relationship with God. This is an excellent question. Um, when I have an encounter with God, Just in worship or prayer, there is an environment that is created within myself. All of a sudden, I'm not as afraid as I was. I'm not as fearful as I was. We're talking like a moment of meditation. And then I ask myself, what can live in this atmosphere? In an atmosphere of worship, I can't say, you know, I'm stupid. In an atmosphere of worship, I can't say, you know, I'm failing at this. In the atmosphere of worship, in the atmosphere of just being one with my creator, there are certain things that cannot live. Truth for me is what can live in the presence of God. And when we begin to attack what is not truth in our life, we make room for more truth. So if we have a relationship that can't exist in that environment or an addiction that can't exist in that environment, then that's got to be what we end up attacking because we can't afford to have anything in our life that can't live in the environment that produces the best version of ourselves.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: I like that. <laughs> I really like <laughs> it. um you you you're making me think a lot <laughs> during this yeah. conversation. You you're opening my mind up to to many different thoughts that I hadn't really thought about yet. So I like this. Um so speaking about knowing truth, knowing God as your personal Lord and Savior for someone that doesn't know God that needs to know him, but is wrestling with that truth in their life, what kind of message would you send to them?
0: You know, I actually start with, and it's going to sound crazy, is that sometimes it is easier for us to believe that evil exists than it is for us to believe that good exists. And yet we have to recognize that if evil exists, that there is a counter to everything, right? That It's not just evil standing alone. There's gotta be something that is opposite that evil. And so I think being open to that, paradigm is one thing. I think another thing is to recognize that anywhere we have experienced love, anywhere we have experienced kindness, that is the antidote to evil. And then to go deeper in the to think what is the source of that. Um, I think it's unfortunate sometimes that when we have an image of God that we can only think in terms of humanity. We're talking about something that's so much bigger than that. I've never met a person who looked at the ocean, who looked at the stars, who looked at the sky and didn't think to themselves, there's got to be something bigger out there. God is that bigger that is out there. And yet he's willing to trickle down into forms that we can experience, like through our friendships, like through opportunities, like through moments of connection like this that serve as a reminder to us that I am sitting high. But I know how to get down low and to meet you right where you are. So sometimes we have to start macro before we get to the micro, and sometimes we see God in the micro into the macro. But whatever it takes, I would challenge you to recognize that there is an answer to evil, and that is in the goodness of God. And we can experience any experience it anytime we're willing to open our eyes to it.
2: I could leave it there, but <laughs> I won't, because that was a perfect, perfect ending message. But um I have a few final questions for you if you don't mind, Sarah. Okay. Is anything missing in your life currently?
0: No. No. Mm. No. Because if it was supposed to be here, it would be here. Oh, I believe that. I love it. I believe that wholeheartedly. And because I um I thought that there was something missing from my life for a very long time. And then I see how my life has changed. And my life didn't change because anything was added. It's because I became aware of the power of what I have left. And so I trust everything that's in my life right now. I don't think anything's missing.
2: That's good. Okay, this is more of a fun question and then I'll get okay. to the the two final tougher questions. Uh, <laughs> but what would you say has been the weirdest food combination you've ever tried? <laughs>
0: um this is a very strange question and yet i'm going to try and answer it weirdest oh god okay so my uncle is like six eleven, and he's just a big guy 11. and we were yeah he's huge he's a huge man and he told me that one of his favorite things to eat are um chick-fil-a sandwiches with a Krispy Kreme donut smashed in between the sandwiches. (laughs) And, you know, like the clown that I am, I told him that it's got to be gross. It's fat. It sounds like a heart attack in a bag. And then I asked him to let me try it. And, um, you know, it, it is very good. But you have to overcome the idea that, like, I am eating myself literally probably to my death so um it's just like one of those things you taste and then you try to lose out of your mind
2: oh i love that because i do the exact same thing
0: are you serious (laughs) i am
2: serious i love it like it is the combination between savory and sweet especially in a donut oh it's delicious um, (laughs) there's this place here in in sydney which you've got to definitely try if you ever come to sydney uh sarah it's called um uh, burger Point, and they've got okay. this. They've got this burger called the Marvin Glaze. Now, mm. put this. They've put. I think it's uh, either two or three meat patties in the burger. You've also got bacon. You've, it's maple bacon, so it's like extra oh. sweet. And then you've got cheese, and then the top of the bun is like this Krispy Kreme kind of glaze over mm. it. they've they've put like it's making me hungry thinking about it but they put these like (laughs) this cheese on top of that that just sort of matches it it's like this perfect flavor and what I do this might be even weirder is you can't get enough cheese right I I always say this so I get a bucket of cheese and then I dip the burger in the cheese and it it is like it is sensational
0: you know I'm supposed to be doing the Hillsong Conference in June in Sydney and I want to forget that we ever had this conversation. (laughs) I want to forget... The whole thing, because if I remember any of it, I'll remember that one point. I want to lose the whole thing out of my mind.
2: I don't know if you can now because it's stuck in in, in the conversation.
0: <laughs> I'm going to do my hardest. I'm praying tonight. I'm asking for the environment <laughs> and all of those things I talked about to help me forget it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, trust me, when you come to Sydney, there is so many amazing treats like it'd be It'd be hard not to just give it a try.
0: <laughs> I'm probably going to try it.
2: <laughs> oh, I love that. Okay. So switching gears a little bit to the more tougher questions. Okay. This, is, uh, this might be a hard one to answer, but we'll see how we go. Uh, if you were to ask a question to anyone alive or dead, who would it be? Why? And what question would you ask them?
0: it used to be Eve. I used to want to, you know, ask her like, was the fruit good? Like the least you could do is answer. Was the fruit good? Um, now let me see if I could ask a question to anyone dead or alive. Am I supposed to say Jesus? I should probably say Jesus. Mm-hmm. I I would probably ask Jesus. Like, I would just say, really, you know what I mean? Like, Really? Like, really, I I don't even know if I could formulate a question beyond just really, Mm. you know, because that's how I feel when I think about the cost and the love and the pain and the commitment and the posture. I think I would just say, really.
2: Mm. Mm. I'm just thinking about that. I Mm. want to ask him how. Yeah. Not why, how. Like if you can give me a glimpse into how everything has just been so damn perfect. Yeah. Like that would be my ultimate question. Even if I was like so afraid and I'd be trembling before him to even ask this question because I, I can imagine his response. Yeah. And I think you can go to the Bible and you say like, for people that have ever complained like you got um Paul who had a thorn in his side and he he asked God to remove it yeah. and then God just says my grace is sufficient for the for thee i think yeah. it'd be the similar my grace is always sufficient for the entire world and that's how i did mm. it
0: That's so amazing. You would think, you know, when this question is asked, you think that you'd have this long, powerful question, and yet we've got these one-word questions that we just, (laughs) that we know that God would understand that Jesus would get, but that we can't even fully articulate.
2: And I think that's the the sheer power of God's presence and His holiness. But yeah, one day when we do get to heaven, I've got, more questions than just that one, but <laughs> 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 we'll have all eternity to ask him. Um, yeah. My final question for you, Sarah, this is my all-time favorite question I ask everyone at the end. So it's a hypothetical one. So I want you to imagine with me for a moment that you've been able to reach the age of 100. All your yeah. friends and your family have decided to put together a film for you of everything you've ever said and everything you've ever done, don't ask me how in the world they got it all. We'll call it magic for sake of argument. But being able to get it and show it to you on your 100th birthday, what do you want that film to say and to show about your life?
0: I wanted to say that I led my family and my friends to the same level of freedom, confidence, and acceptance that people say that I get to do to those who are not connected to me, that I didn't just minister to the world and not become ministry for my family.
2: That is a great way to end this conversation. Sarah, Jake, Jakes, Roberts, thank you so much for your time today. I acknowledge everything that you're doing. I love your message. Where can people find your book and connect with you?
0: My books are available everywhere Books are sold, women evolve. I'm so excited about this message. And if you want to continue the journey with me, you can find me on all of the socials, Facebook, Instagram, at Sarah with an H. Don't forget my H, Sarah Jakes Roberts.
2: (laughs) It's not hard to find. But Sarah, thank you so much for coming on the Storybox podcast.
0: Thank you for having me.
2: I really don't like this part because it means that sadly we have come to an end of yet another story. I'm Jay Phantom, and don't forget, your story is worth more than you know. I'll catch you then.
1: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm.